Luke 1, starting from verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The second passage is chapter 7, starting from verse 11. Sorry, starting in verse 18. Chapter 7, starting from verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The next passage is chapter 17, starting from verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. All right, uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, can I add my welcome to Karen as well, uh, who's here? I see Karen a lot uh, at different RI things. Uh, and as I was saying in the first service, she's almost uh, omnipresent. Uh, she's everywhere uh, throughout Queensland promoting RI and doing a lot of work. So keep, keep praying for Karen. She does a great work. Um, uh, in this space where in Queensland we have this amazing privilege of being able to uh, be allowed to be in state schools uh, to teach God's word and to bring uh, the news of Jesus uh, to students. 
uh, is it 300,000 kids? 300,000 kids, which is uh, in every week, 300,000 kids are in RI, which is more than uh, adults and kids combined in churches. Uh, think about that, right? It's by far the biggest ministry, uh, Christian ministry in Queensland. Uh, I coordinate uh, RI at Chapel Hill. Uh, Faith and Sonia um, teach there. Jordan will be joining us next year. Uh, there's others teaching in other schools as well. Uh, so there's quite a few of us involved. Um, what we don't have involvement is uni students, actually. Uh, I've been trying to get Christian over the last couple of years, but his schedule never really matched. matched. So if uh, uni students out there who, who may have uh, afternoons free uh, on one of the weekdays, uh, please do consider uh, putting aside about an hour of your time to be able to teach one class. And if you can teach two classes, even better, because usually they're back-to-back -back on, on an afternoon. Um, and if you're keen on doing that, uh, even if you're not sure, get trained. Uh, there's a couple of modules you need to complete of training before you can be qualified to teach. So it'd be good to get in early on that. I think there's one coming up in early December uh, that uh, some of us will be doing. So please uh, join us on that. All right. Uh, as you heard from Simeon, we have uh, just finished our sermon series in Revelation. In fact, we've finished a lot of uh, very difficult sermon series over the last uh, eight, nine months. Um, but we are returning back to a familiar gospel, uh, gospel of Luke. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to have a fairly long introduction so that we can be uh, situated back into the gospel of Luke. Uh, and then we're going to look at the context uh, as we enter into this uh, 17th chapter in the middle of a chapter. Right, it's never a good idea when you open your Bible just to start reading randomly. You need to situate yourself to what's going on to be able to understand uh, what's going on. So I'm going to have a longish introduction, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look into uh, these 11 verses that is in our text today. Now, over the last few years, if you've been around, you'll know that we've been uh, dipping in and out of Luke's gospel from about four or five years ago, starting at the beginning of Luke, and um, we are now uh, coming into this section um, as we enter any book of the Bible, mid midstream, I suppose, you've got to ask yourself, what is this book about and why was it written? So let's start by asking, what is Luke about and why was Luke different? Uh, these are uh, very important things for us to know. We want to understand and want to apply Luke today. So let's start with the easy answer, which is the why, right? Why was Luke written? So let me just turn up to my first slide. Here we go. Luke tells us. So it's so easy to know what he wrote, okay? So Luke 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So we have Luke, right? And if you get to know a bit more about Luke and say, actually, he's a doctor. Uh, Dr. Luke has decided to put his forensic skills as a doctor into the investigation and reporting regarding Jesus, into historical investigation and reporting regarding Jesus. And he tells us that he wrote to a guy called Theophilus, which is a beautiful name. Theophilus means Theo, God, Philos, uh, love, a God lover, right? And possibly he's a real guy and possibly to other Christians uh, in that time, a few decades after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Luke writes to Theophilus, uh, an eyewitness accounting, a careful recording of the things regarding Jesus. Um, and he wrote, so that Theophilus and Christians like Theophilus may have certainty. Right, we see that in verse 4, isn't it? That you may have certainty about the things that you have been taught and that you believe. Certainty that 
what Jesus did and said really happened, right? Certainty that what Jesus said and did really happened, but also certainty about what it means, right? Why, why did Jesus say the things he said and what did he do? What did it mean? Certainty that it happened and certainty about what actually Jesus did and said. Now, the question then is, why did Theophilus and the early Christians need certainty? And I suppose we can ask the same question for ourselves today, right? Why do we need certainty? Now, it's because the claims that Jesus makes, the claims about Jesus and the call of Jesus are absolutely massive. The claims and the call of Jesus are absolutely massive. They're supposed to define our life today, and they're supposed to define eternity forever. Jesus is the Son of God, we are told, who came by no less than the miraculous and unique virgin birth, right? So no earthly father, the virgin birth, we're told. Jesus is the, the king of God's eternal kingdom. And he proves that he is the king of God's eternal kingdom by performing many supernatural acts and, and miracles of, of healing, right? of, of uh, a power over the spiritual forces, of controlling even nature itself. He raised people from the dead. He taught the Bible as one with divine and powerful authority as God's king and the son of God. We're told that Jesus is the one who brings about salvation. And it's only those who put their trust in Jesus who are saved. Jesus calls for people to give their life to Jesus, to follow him. Massive claims, massive call. So the question is, really? Right? Did this really happen? Can we be certain that this is true? Certainty is what Theophilus and the early Christians and what we need to have. We need to know what Jesus really did and said. We need to know what it means for us. But there's no point being vague about our faith and our understanding. We need to know with clarity who Jesus is. What did he do? What did he say? Because we live in a world with a lot of competing rulers and kings and authorities in our life, isn't it? What, what is it? Why is it that Jesus has to be king? I mean, we've been going through Revelation. We, we've just seen the, 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 the dragon and the two beasts and how the evil one is at work in this world using all kinds of different authorities and deceptions to rule our lives, to, to cause us to worship anyone other than Jesus. And of course, for many of us, the greatest king and ruler of our lives is often ourselves, isn't it? Why, why is it that we have to stop living for ourselves, stop being the ruler of our own lives and follow Jesus? We need certainty. On top of that, we live almost 2,000 years after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. Right? We, we need to have certainty that he really did come and that he really did these things, that the kingdom really came when Jesus came. Because the question where all of us would have is, is the kingdom really here? Is, is the king uh, really worth living for? Is he really coming back? These are big questions that we need to have certainty about when it comes to the answers, isn't it? Now, let's um, then get into Luke now. And uh, I like to do outlines because we need to situate ourselves to what's going on. Not as pretty as the Revelation outline from last week, uh, but this does the job, okay? So you don't have to memorize that. It shows you that there is a structure to every book of the Bible. Uh, and um, we are really focusing in on that bolded part. Uh, which we began looking at at the end of last year in our previous 
sermon series, right? And in this section, the journey to Jerusalem, it's really quite an easy kind of structure, this, this, this big section of Luke's gospel. Uh, because each of the sections of this journey narrative uh, begins with this sort of journey marker, right? Uh, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to Jerusalem. It kind of gives us a new phase in the way of his movement towards Jerusalem, which is where he's headed for his mission to, to die and be to crucified and then to be raised again. Now, as we were looking at the last series, if you went around, uh, we titled that, that, that series, beginning in chapter 9, uh, Discipleship. Uh, and in a way, the journey metaphor as Jesus journeys towards the cross, um, a lot of the teaching in the first two parts of the journey is about what it means to follow him. What is the Christian journey? What is Christian discipleship? So if you're unfamiliar, you can go back and uh, read those passages and listen to those sermons uh, that are on the website. But as we move into this final, this third and final section of this journey narrative, we will see that the big theme is the theme of our new section, right? See the king and his kingdom. The focus, the theme will be very much on the king of God's kingdom. The king of God's kingdom. Now, we're going to be learning a lot about the king and the kingdom in this section. And no doubt, uh, the theme of king and kingdom is uh, familiar to many of us. If you've been Christian for any length of time, you've read your Bible for a little bit, uh, you'll probably be familiar with the idea of the, of the kingdom of God and of the king of God's kingdom through the Old Testament, uh, the Christ, and then through the New Testament, Jesus. But while these themes are familiar enough to us, uh, sometimes it can feel quite distant from us because we don't really live in the experience of having a king in our life physically, do we? We don't live in a kingdom. Maybe some of you come from the UK, and you may have some regard for the queen. But in day-to-day life, I'm not sure that that really constitutes what a kingdom really feels like to live in. And so even though it's familiar, it can seem quite distant, this idea of kingship and living in a kingdom under kingdom rule. On top of that, Jesus, the king, is someone who is not physically present. And so we might feel a sense of disconnection. The kingdom of God is not tangible. And so it may feel strange to to think about what does it mean to experience living in the kingdom of God. And so over the next few weeks, even more so, we need to have certainty about the things that we have been taught and about the things that we will be taught to be able to have really strong and certain answers to the question of how do we experience God's kingdom today? How do we experience it? How do we see it? How do we enter it? How do we experience it? How do we enjoy it even? Big questions that hopefully we'll have clear and certain answers to. Now, with that long intro done, let us now pray that God will speak to us through His Word to give us certainty about the things that we believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you're a God who so graciously and powerfully reveals yourself to us through your Word. By the power of your Spirit, you have caused your Word to be written. We thank you for uh, your servant, uh, Dr. Luke, who carefully compiled these eyewitness accounts so that we may have certainty about the things that Jesus did and said. As we live uh, in this time where we, where we may be familiar with the idea of king and kingdom, but perhaps it might feel a bit distant to us. We might have questions and, and we might have doubts about the, the experience of being in the kingdom of God and about Jesus as our king. We pray that your word will give us that certainty that we need to keep trusting in him, to keep trusting 
uh, and, and looking forward to and experiencing the kingdom of God. Uh, this we pray in his name. Amen. So we enter this final movement, as I said, in chapter 17, verse 11, uh, and we find Jesus and his journeying, we are told in verse 11, and the border and the region between Samaria, which is where the Samaritans live, and Galilee, which is a Jewish kind of area. Uh, and in this uh, setting, which is about 100 kilometers north of Jerusalem, and he's making his way to Jerusalem, uh, we see 10 lepers, right, come to Jesus, crying out to Jesus from a distance. Now, lepers are something that you may be quite familiar with when you read the Bible, but leprosy is a really big deal. Right? Medically, uh, it had the same destructive impact as cancer. Same destructive impact as cancer. So whether you get the news of cancer, whether it's a minor cancer or severe cancer, it's, it's life-changing medical news. Right? It's a very severe thing for, for them to have leprosy. But more than the medical problem is the social and spiritual impact that leprosy had on their lives. Because leprosy, lepers were socially shunned. Like people were very afraid to be contaminated by leprosy, and so they were, they were to keep a distance from everybody else. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's like history repeats itself. But more than that, lepers were spiritually unclean. They were thought to be cursed by God, and so they would be excluded from the religious life of the community. It was a de devastating disease to have at every level, medically, socially, and spiritually. Now, 10 such lepers, they were standing at the required distance. They couldn't come close to Jesus. They weren't allowed. But from a distance, they cried out to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. Now, in Luke's gospel so far, basically, it's only the disciples who call Jesus Master. Right? They've been following him. They've been taught by him. They've seen his great signs and miracles. And it's only them that really calls Jesus Master. Everybody else calls him teacher, right? rabbi. But we see that the ten lepers must have heard and must have seen enough about who Jesus is that they would see Jesus as having the authority of master to call out to him for healing. And that's what the call for mercy is, right? Have mercy on me is basically the same as saying, please heal me. Right? Heal me, please, master. Now, responding to their cry, Jesus tells them to go to the temple to show themselves to the priests. And if you're reading, you're probably thinking, huh, what's this all about, Right? And now this is the law, the, the, the Jewish law, that when you are, or when you think you are, healed and cleansed from leprosy, you go to the temple, to the priest, and they will verify, that they'll check your body, right? And they'll check there's no spots, no scars, no sores that are consistent with having leprosy so that you can be ticked off to re-enter back into society and into the religious life of the community, right? But the strange thing is, the lepers at this point haven't yet been healed, Right? You look at it carefully, they haven't yet been healed, but nevertheless, they obey Jesus' instruction and they start heading towards the temple to show themselves to the priests. Now you can imagine if there was Instagram back in the day, smartphones, Instagram was better back then, uh, maybe before they approached Jesus, one of the lepers would have taken a selfie, right, and then they would have put a, a post saying, you know, going to see Master Jesus now, hoping for the best. And then the selfie there, and you'll see as clear as day, right, you know, the, 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 the festering sores, the disgusting discolored skin, the scars, visible, ugly for all to see. Uh, you know, on Instagram, you want to be your true self. Yeah, right, but never. <laughs> but this guy, he's very honest, right? Now, on the way then to the temple, suddenly he takes another photo of himself and he posts this, right? <laughs> on the way to the temple, we're completely healed. Right? 
And just to make sure that you know, you know and emphasize that this is nothing to do with uh, trickery or software, you have all the hashtags that you're gonna put in, right? No filter, right? No makeup, right? S-O-O-C, which means straight out of camera, right? Very important hashtag, straight out of camera. Because this is who I am now, right? Just like that. A supernatural healing has occurred. You see in the text, in a simple, as they went off, they were cleansed. Seven words, as simple as that. As they went off, on the way to the temple, they were cleansed. Like that, the healing is done. Right? No hoo-ha, no dramatics. But let's not make a mistake here about what we're being told. Let's not make a mistake about what we're being told here. It's been three long chapters. In chapter 14, where the last miraculous healing has been recorded to us, uh, for us by Luke. But prior to that, for chapter after chapter after chapter in Jesus' ministry from chapter 4, we've seen miracle after miracle, sign after sign, supernatural after supernatural. This kind of random miracle that happens three chapters later is a callback to all that we've seen and heard before. If we hadn't dived into chapter 17, verse 11, you will hear very clearly at this point a callback to all the supernatural signs that Jesus has already done. Jesus is no ordinary man. He is no ordinary man. As we will hear later on in verse 21, Jesus will say that the kingdom of God is in your midst. Right? It's among you. It's here. How do we know that? Because Jesus, the king, with all of his supernatural power and authority, is here. And just to remind you of that, here is a miracle for you. However, the focus in the next few verses isn't about the, 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 the miraculous power of Jesus, but the response to this miraculous healing. And here we have two responses to look at. The first response is the response of the one leper. So have a look at your passage, verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Right, on the way to the temple, this one man stopped in his tracks, stopped heading towards the temple and turned back. The temple can wait. I've got to get back to Jesus. Right, and in this one and a half verses, I think we see a beautiful picture of what faith looks like. A beautiful picture of what faith looks like. This man, he saw that something significant, something amazing had happened to him. And his immediate response was to praise God right, with overflowing joy from his heart. And then he recognized that it was God working through Jesus. So he ran and he drew near to Jesus, fell at his feet in the position of humility and worship, and he gave Jesus thanks. Right? Just one verse, one other verse, a beautiful picture right, of a person who recognizes the work of God in their life, sees that God has worked through this man Jesus, and comes to Jesus, draws near to Jesus, humbles himself before Jesus, worships Jesus, and gives Jesus thanks. Right, this is faith in a, in a beautiful and very simple way, isn't it? Faith in Jesus isn't rocket science. It's not mystical or it's not weird. You don't have to jump through some, some, all these hoops and, and gain all this knowledge and go through all these procedures. Simple faith is just recognizing God's work in your life through Jesus and turning to Him in worship and in thanks. It's very simple. But there's still more to see, isn't there? 
coming right at the end as a kind of punchline in the end of verse 16, Luke tells us, now, he was a Samaritan. Right? And then Luke emphasized, right? A Samaritan is a foreigner, a man from a people group despised by the Jews. Remember the Jews, right? They were the insiders, weren't they? They were the locals, uh, the supposed citizens of God's kingdom. Whereas the Samaritans, they were those who, who had intermarried, right, with pagan stock, and they were the outsiders, they were the outcasts, they were the foreigners, they were outside of the kingdom of God. And yet Luke makes it a point to tell us that this man, only this man out of the ten, this foreigner, this Samaritan, turned back to give thanks and worship to Jesus. Now the significance of this will hit home when we get to verse 20 and 21, right? The significance will really hit home later on. But for now, let's see this uh, Samaritan ex-leper, right? He, he's not quite done yet. But before he heads off and departs the scene, we hear Jesus make a pronouncement about this Samaritan leper who's now been healed. Have a look at verse 19. And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now this uh, phrase, your faith has made you well, made you well uh, can, or, or, or healed is the same word in Greek as the word save. Right? The word is sozo. When you see it in the gospel, when you see the word healed, it could also mean saved. And context will help you to determine what is it about really, this made you well or made you safe. What is it exactly? So what does Jesus mean here when he says to the man, your faith has healed you or has your faith saved you? What is this faith about and what is the result? Now, I think it can't mean the faith that all 10 lepers had as they approached Jesus before they were healed, right? They all had the same faith in that sense. They had the same understanding of Jesus uh, because the emphasis since then is the faith that was, that was uh, that shown to us by this one leper uh, that was different from the other nine. In the beautiful picture of faith we just looked at in verse 15 and 16, it must be this faith that Jesus is talking about. And this faith, as we've seen, is, is a full response of faith that brings about a greater and a different healing. I think this healing is the healing of salvation. What Jesus is speaking about here is saving faith. A healing not just from the medical and the social and the spiritual effects of leprosy, but this guy has a faith that has brought about the full experience of salvation in the kingdom of God. The salvation of receiving and believing in the King. Of recognizing, receiving and believing the King. Now we turn now then to the second response, right? We've seen a lot from the first leper, from, the first, uh, from this leper. Now look to the second response. And we see the same response from two groups. The other nine lepers who did not turn back, as well as from the Pharisees that we see in verse 20 and 21. So have a look at the first the nine lepers first, right? They, they, they came to Jesus, remember, uh, in need. But they did not return to him when their need was met. Um, when they saw that they had been healed on the way to the temple, they didn't turn back. They didn't acknowledge Jesus. They, they, it's not reported that they praised God. They certainly didn't fall at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. It, it's very strange, isn't it, and striking, that the same people experience the same thing with such a different response. The Samaritan leper, the other nine, chalk and cheese, right? Light and day difference. But then again, when we think about it, we kind of do that often in life, isn't it? That we see the same thing, but we have a very different response. 
So, um, about eight, eight years ago, I think, roughly eight or nine years ago, we had a celebrity in our midst, right? Um, it's uh, sitting about where Leia and Anastasia are sitting at the moment. Uh, and uh, this celebrity uh, was sat next to Faith. And this celebrity is Hossein Leung. Right, if you're Singaporean and you're old enough, you know him. He's a bit old now, so many of you don't know him. He's a TV actor and um, a radio personality okay, from Singapore. And I was sitting there, Faith had no idea, right? And so Faith would just do her normal friendly thing. You know, she would say hello and then she'd chat about the sermon afterwards. But meantime, I'm at the back, right, with, uh, with, our, with Uncle Stephen. You know, Uncle Stephen was first service. And he was excited. You could see, right? It was like, I was like, Uncle Stephen, what's going on? He goes, what's that young? Right? He was so excited for Faith to stop talking to him so that he could meet him. So he could say hello to Hossein Leong uh, and, and welcome him to the church. Right? Because Uncle Steve was that kind of guy. Same guy, totally different response. Right? Faith is like, oh, it's just some other guy. Right? But Uncle Steven, yeah. The same thing happens in homes too, doesn't it? You got parents with kids. And the parents are there slaving away, putting a roof under the kid's head. Uh, you know, uh, preparing food, uh, clothing their kids, giving them more, not just their, their needs but their wants, showering love and care upon them. But then the kids will grow up and one, you know, will be just bursting with love and appreciation on their wedding day. You know, they're like crying, I don't want to leave you, I love you, right? But then you have another child in the same family and then they're like going to therapy because, you know, my parents never loved me, never did anything for me, right? Same house. Uh, if that's you, by the way, I... You can talk to me about it, okay? Well, we need to talk. But same house, completely different interpretation of the same experience. And then there's seeing, and then there's really seeing. There's a completely different response. Same Jesus, same healing, but the other nine didn't give Jesus a second look. They didn't see him as someone worth running back to, right? To give thanks to God for and to worship and to and to follow. Now as we read on into the, next, the last two verses, the verse 20 and 21, we see that the nine lepers, in a way, really reflect the leadership of Israel. Have a look at verse 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The Pharisees came to Jesus with a question. Now, who are the Pharisees? I think many of us know that the Pharisees are kind of like criticized a lot in the Gospels. But you have to remember that in the first century, the Pharisees were seen as the holy men of Israel. Right? They were devoted to studying and obeying God's word, God's law. They were the esteemed leaders of God's people. Out of all the people in the world, they were the ones who had been most primed uh, most prepared to, to receive the kingdom of God. They were the ones who had the greatest understanding and the greatest eagerness to see Christ, the God's Christ, God's promised Messiah, God's King, right, being sent because they know the Old Testament so well. And the Old Testament is all about prophecies of God's King, right, coming to bring the end of the world. And yet, here we see them asking Jesus, when, uh, when is the kingdom coming? Right, when's the kingdom coming? It, it seems that they were still looking for something. And, and from Jesus' response, it seems that they are still looking for more signs, weren't they? More proofs. And it makes you wonder, what exactly were they looking for? 
Because if you've been reading up to Luke so far, this Pharisees, they've been following Jesus everywhere, right? They've, they've seen what Jesus has been doing. They've heard what Jesus has been teaching, just like everybody else. What more proof do they need? What more are they looking for? But you see, when they see the blind see, when they see the lame walk, the deaf hear, the lepers cleansed, and the dead are raised, the good news of the kingdom was being preached, just like the Old Testament prophesied, which Jesus has fulfilled, they still don't see that Jesus is king. Right? All of their Old Testament learning to see the signs for who it is that will be the king, they don't see. The kingdom is in their midst. The king has come. It was to be received and, and experienced and, re, and enjoyed, but no, they didn't see. They didn't have eyes of faith. They were looking for something more. Now, let's draw some implications, right, as we finish off the sermon. It's a short passage, but I think there are three implications uh, that we need to draw out from here. The first one is a really positive one. But we can know with certainty that God's kingdom has come because God's king has come. But we can have confidence that God's kingdom has come because God's king has come. How do we experience the kingdom of God? We experience it through the historical reliability of the kingdom being recorded in history, right, through Jesus' life on earth, which was recorded to us so faithfully by Dr. Luke with all of his forensic training, with all of his care that he took to make sure that all that Jesus said and did were recorded accurately in the book that we have in front of us. The king of the kingdom is recorded in, in, in his miraculous works of healing like we've seen in this passage, along with all of the other things that he did and the things that he said and taught about the kingdom of God. And now as Jesus ministered and journeyed through the Middle East in those years, the people back then, the people of Samaria, the people of Galilee, the people of Judah, they experienced the kingdom of God come in person. But for us today, 2,000 years later, we experience the same truths through the Word of God, through Luke's faithful reporting. We are given certainty to see that what Luke saw and what he reported is, is, is very, it harmonizes uh, with what the other gospel writers write and what the, the, the Apostle Paul writes. And ultimately, we're given the confidence that the Holy Spirit right, is overseeing this entire process, preserving God's Word, so that we can have certainty about what we have been taught and what we will be taught about Jesus. And because of this, we get to know the kingdom and the king. And we get to experience the full experience of the kingdom and the king through the Word of God. Now, how do we then do this? How do we experience the kingdom? Well, I think in this passage, the, the Samaritan leper shows us how to experience the king and the kingdom. We experience it through saving faith, right? through the same response that the Samaritan leper gave to Jesus. Now, think about it for us, right? what is it that we have received? The, the leper received the, the healing from his leprosy. What is it that we have received that helps us to acknowledge God and Jesus? Well, I think we've all received, uh, we've all experienced a life of, the, uh, of, the, of, of being created and being sustained by God, the, 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 the grace of common grace. Right? We see God in our daily experience of having grace shown to us. We get to experience the love of Christ through the Christian community. Uh, the embodied Christ, right, in the body of Christ helps us to see God in our lives. <clears throat> but even more so, we get to hear the gospel preached we have the Word of God in our language, in our hands. 
We get to know intimate details. We get to know Jesus deeply through the Word of God in front of us. And to all of this, we must respond then with simple faith. Right? To, to, to the simple faith that we see in the Samaritan leper, to recognize, to acknowledge of all that we've received from God, especially in Jesus and the gospel. It's about responding with a joy, a praise to God for what He's done for us through Jesus. And it's turning to Jesus, falling at His feet in humility and worship and receiving all of His goodness and gift to us with thanks. The simple faith leads us to the experience of the King and the kingdom of God. I guess the simple, the, the simple question I have for you today then is, is this something that you have done? Is this something that you have done? Put this trust in Jesus to see what He has done for you, acknowledging that, turning to Him in worship and in thanks. Perhaps this is something that you want to do. It's, it's not rocket science. It's not hard. It is simple to come to Jesus. If there's something you want to do today, come and speak to me or to someone who brought you here. We also see, and this is a small point, right, that salvation is for everyone, isn't it? Uh, the, the, um, the, the focus uh, in, in that verse uh, 19, uh, 16 there, just that last line, right, the Samaritan is a foreigner, the one that we least expect to respond to Israel's king, yet he is the one who came to Jesus in faith. And it reminded to us that it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter how far or near we feel, it doesn't matter what we've done, all that is needed to be able to experience the king and his kingdom is the simple act of saving faith that everyone can respond to, including someone like an outsider at the Samaritan. And so the question then is, and this is our last point, what will stop you? What will stop you from responding with this kind of saving faith? Well, there's a big warning to be heeded from our passage today. The nine lepers, they obviously had a good impression, a good thought, a high view of Jesus, didn't they? They came to him, calling out to him, Master, have mercy. And they experienced something really good from Jesus. They were healed. Yet we know that they, they did not respond with saving faith. There's a warning here. Just because you come to church, just because you enjoy learning from God's Word in a sermon or in a Bible study or through your daily Bible readings, just because you enjoy the Christian experience, the Christian community, the Christian values even, it doesn't mean that you've actually come to faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean that you've put your trust in the King. The Scriptures warn us many times that you can taste the heavenly gift, you can even share in the good things of the Holy Spirit and enjoy the kingdom community and the kingdom blessings, but still be someone ultimately outside of the kingdom of God, someone who is not saved. The Pharisees, they had an impeccable heritage and the great privilege of being immersed in the Word of God and the religious life of God's community. Yet they refused to receive Christ as God's King. They kept looking for more signs, didn't they? They kept looking for more signs. They kept looking for another King. Now here's a warning to those of us who want to keep looking for something more than Jesus, for more than Jesus to, come, to confirm the Kingdom of God. Um, looking for maybe greater signs and wonders. Right, to be able to, to have confidence that God is with us, wanting to receive a special word from God, wanting a greater spiritual experience, looking for more than just Jesus. It's a warning. 
Because Jesus is the king. The experience of God's kingdom is found in drawing near to Jesus alone. We don't need those other things. This is not how we experience the kingdom of God, isn't it? Not by enjoying kingdom things, but ignoring and not responding to the king in faith. We don't experience the kingdom of God by looking out for more and greater signs. It is found in trusting Jesus. And that is how we get to enjoy the full experience of the kingdom of God today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you caused Dr. Luke to write these faithful words that gives us the confidence that we need to be certain of who Jesus is. Thank you for showing us so clearly that the kingdom of God has come because the king has come. Through all that Jesus did, his miraculous signs, his, his amazing wonders, his teaching of the kingdom of God, and for us today to be able to know for sure that he came and he lived in this world, he, he died, he rose again, and he ascended back to heaven with the promise of his return, we too today can have the confidence, the certainty that Jesus is your king. So please help us to trust him with saving faith. Please help us to be able to see your grace in our lives, to be able to acknowledge it and to, to be stirred up in joy and praise for you because of Jesus and to, to bow at his feet, to worship him and to give him thanks. I pray for those today who, who have not yet done that. I pray that you will stir up their hearts by your spirit to be able to see and trust Jesus as he is. Please help us to overcome uh, the barriers. Some of us maybe have enjoyed kingdom things for many years. We enjoy the learnings and the community and the fellowship and even maybe the, the lifestyle, the values of Christianity. Plus, please help us to take that step to actually trust the king. For others who are still remaining skeptical and still looking for more signs, more wonders, more prophetic words, a greater spiritual experience of some kind, please help them to see that Jesus is all that they need, that the full experience of the kingdom comes in trusting in the King. Please help us do this for the glory of Jesus and for our eternal joy. And in His name we pray.